and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 144. This interview is with the ebullient and passionate Caleb Storkey, who owns and runs Storkey Media, an integrated marketing agency. In this conversation, Caleb and I talk about the challenges that small and big companies face in driving a customer-centric agenda, as well as using social media to drive the business. Caleb provides us with a number of very useful tips, tricks, and tools. Enjoy. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Caleb Storky, now, you, uh, aside from having a wonderful look and a lot of energy and a friend of our mutual friend of uh, Jeremy Waits, tell us who you are, what you do, and, of course, what is your mindset? So I'm Caleb Storky, and I've got lots of energy, um, but I'm passionate to see people be the fullness of who they're created to be, and I'm committed to ideas that can change the world. So I suppose that's who I am in terms of what I do. Uh, I run an integrated marketing agency here in London. And for me, that is about outworking that desire to see uh, ideas that matter grow, get momentum, and be successful. Uh, in terms of my mindset, wow, that's a big old question. So I think let me unpack it. I think uh, people are incredible. And that's, I don't say that lightly or glibly because I think sometimes it can be an overused statement. But I think people uh, give humanity a hard time. So what do I mean by that? I think at the heart of people is such creativity and wonder and strength and imagination. But I think so much of the time we focus on our weaknesses or people focus on other people's weaknesses. So it doesn't take long. You just jump on Twitter and you can see someone being slaughtered by, by the masses because they've done something wrong. And I think in this culture, we're, we're never really encouraged to focus on what our strengths are and what the core things are that we love mm. and what's great about what we do. So one of my underlying, I suppose, value systems and something within my mindset is that both myself, but with other people that I work with, I want them to be the fullness of who they're created to be. Mm-hmm. So I want to help identify what they're great at. I want to help them um, outwork that and actually be even greater at that. So give me, give me a chance to tell a story. So there was this chap at school, and he was an incredible runner, like incredible runner. He was like... Short uh, distance or short distance? Short distance. So we, you know, he was ripped, he was muscly. We thought he was going to be the next Linford Christie. You know, and as younger kids looking up to him, we idolised him in certain ways. And I always remember this time when... But he wasn't the most educated guy on the planet. You know, he was a great runner, but he probably wasn't all that good at maths. And he was due to be sort of competing in a big championship. And he wasn't allowed to attend. And do you know why? Because he hadn't done his homework. <laughs> and for me, that whole concept of not allowing someone to play to their strengths, but punishing them because they haven't done something that they ought to have done, is a flawed mindset. So for me, when, whenever I work with clients... One of the things we start off with doing is uh, understanding someone's personality. So using tools like Strength Finder, which is a really helpful tool to identify your top five strengths. Uh, looking at things like the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and Belbin, just to really drill down and understand what someone's made of and therefore how I can help support them to be all that is they are created to be. Yeah. So I think that's one big part of my mindset. That's beautiful. The second part, I think, would be the whole idea of creating things and working with people who create something that matters. So I love the story of Blake Mykoski, who um, created Tom's, uh, the pair of shoes. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the model of Tom's was very simple. Every single pair of Tom's shoes that's bought, a pair of shoes is then given away. And for, for Blake, what was really impressive about that for me was the fact that over the time since he's found it, 35 million pairs of shoes have been given away. And also, he's gone on to sort of do a similar model with regards to sunglasses and, and eyes. And so 250,000 people have restored their sight. 
And for me, that's starting something that matters. That's something that's really incredible, it's powerful, it has a huge long life, you know, long lasting impact on, on people's lives. But it also makes good business sense because some people sort of say, well, hang on, it's just about sort of trying to bring about change in society, but how can every organization have an element of that? You know, and back in 2014, Blake sold 50% of his business to, to Bain Capital, valuing it at 625 million. And some people could, could be quite cynical and say, well, that's great, but all of that whole giving away a pair of shoes was just a marketing ploy. And actually, there wasn't really an underlying value behind that. And the truth is, you know, he, he still gave away or is estimated to have given away half of that. Um, half that money that he made himself off the back of that and his net worth even before that point was £3 million which even though it's a lot of money to many people it could be far more significant than that so I get that story because I love to work alongside people who want to change the world and it's a, it's a phrase that we use all the time but actually it doesn't have to be in as dramatic ways as Tom's can be it could literally be someone within a cafe in Covent Garden that actually delivers such a level of service that it makes your day completely different well, So listening to you Caleb of course I mean, you know, you and I share a lot of similar passions and interests. And listening to the Tom's story, so they've just been sold, the question in, in, in my mind is, what happened after he left? Well, it's still going well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, I think, very practically, one of the reasons why he raised the money. Uh, he hasn't left it, he's still part of it. But one of the reasons why he raised the money, because he knew that he could actually have more reach, mm-hmm. so both with additional products, but also in terms of more territories that they can move into. So... I think lots of people were sort of saying it's a cynical move here, but, you know, I, I, I applaud it. I love it. I think actually there's more that can be done with that value. And obviously, yes, they'll be looking for a commercial return, but at the same time, uh, I, think, I think those values that he's installed into the company are still strong and still working on that basis. All right, you, you said um, that you run an integrated marketing uh, agency, integrated agency. Today, that, that can sound like a very large proposition because of so many different types of media. So how do you structure that, and, and then how do you approach that with clients? So I suppose the simple way that we structure that um, to cut through everything is we put the customer right at the heart of our business and also, the, also at the heart of our clients' businesses. So when we say we, we run an integrated agency, often um, agencies might be broken down to specific dis- disciplines, you know, social media or digital or mobile exactly so our focus is how do we actually break down those silos put the customer right at the center and how do we then have an integrated campaign where we're working with the business and we're helping them join up the dots so that everyone is accountable with regards to the overall impact of the campaign so we're not in a situation where one person can blame another department or where we lose track of the data that's going on with a customer or one, one thing happens to one customer over here, but it doesn't happen over there, and we don't really know what's going on. So I, I listened the other day to, um, to your podcast, and when you were mentioning the thing with British Airways and how they bumped you from being a business class ticket, they sort of they denigrated you down to a lowly standard class ticket. And uh, you were then in that situation where you weren't you know, really looked off, not just from that ticket situation, but you know, when you went to the business lounge and when you arrived on the plane and the communication afterwards. And, it, and it's jarring because, in essence, something happened, they didn't have the interconnection in terms of the communication. Mm-hmm. They didn't put you at the heart of that experience. They put their processes, which actually didn't really work very well, mm-hmm. at the heart of that experience. And as a result of that, you, a loyal, faithful customer of theirs, was not looked after and given the care and attention that you should have been. Mm-hmm. For me, that's abhorrent. I just I don't understand why that still happens. And obviously it's complicated and it's hard, mm-hmm. and you can't wave a wand to sort of fix problems like that. But that's where I want to focus my energies is helping put customers right at the center and looking after them in a more effective way yeah so in the end of the day what happened of course with this ba situation is that the the processes were in place and each person had their responsibility but there was no 
linking back to the individual sitting in my seat or anyone else's seat for that matter and so that they, there was no relaying going on about specific situations down the chain of command. So when you're dealing with uh, this customer-centric approach with, with, um, with your clients, what are the types of challenges you or they face in making it happen? And how do you, get, how do you think you can overcome them? Well, I, th- I think coming on to that, I think starting off by listening. You know, often people do not listen. We're so quick to talk. We're so quick to go through what it is that we're supposed to do. They don't take the time to listen. So in that scenario, BA, if someone had come along to you and said, I'm so sorry, sir, that you've been, you know, you've lost, lost your business class ticket. Please let me take you to the business lounge. Can I get you a drink now, sir? Um, I really appreciate it's been inconvenience. Is there anything that we, that we can offer you that isn't here that we can go and get you from one of the other shops or the stores? Have you got a magazine that you'd really love to read? I would like that. I didn't hear that it. That would be good. That would be good. And one could argue, well, hang on, you can't scale that up because actually you're there, you've got one member of staff running around the airport terminal to try and find you your dream book or your magazine to, to remedy the, the inconvenience. But it's not always about scaling things up. It's about looking after you as a customer and actually, sometimes we just need to turn around and say, let's ignore the processes there. What does this person need? And give them the empowering for that. So, so I love the story that I read recently about um, Adam, who was um, uh, in, on a virgin, virgin train back in January. And uh, he tweeted out, I've just had a reasonably large poo, and there's no toilet roll left on the virgin trains. So he's, he's in the toilet and tweeting. Absolutely. 7.30 train from Houston to Glasgow. He, he tweets, please send some help. So two minutes later... He gets a tweet back from Virgin Train saying, which coach, Adam? And he replies back, Coach J, thank you. And then a man walks along in a black suit and gave, you know, somewhat embarrassed Adam a toilet roll for him to use. And then he later tweeted, we realised that Adam was, a, isn't, was in a crisis and we helped him finish what he had started. Now, what was beautiful about this, from my perspective, is that they could tell from Adam's first tweet that he's kind of a humorous guy and he's quite happy to put himself out there. Um, and not only did they deliver that service, making sure they were able to respond very quickly, which requires organisation, which requires a response time, and sticking to that response time. Lots of people do not, by any means, get a response to a tweet within two minutes. No you know, like, how many times have we been waiting for hours and hours, even days, to get a response? It, it, it took BA two, over two hours to get back to my tweet. Yeah, and for, even for some companies, two hours is, is, oh, wow, we don't even remotely do it within two hours. You know, let's be realistic. So some people realize that actually they're, they're not delivering on that. So not only do they respond very quickly, there was a personal element to it. So the person initialized the tweet. So there's a sense of you were talking to another human being, not just this entity System. called Virgin Trains. Um, on top of that, there was the, the reality that actually they gave the solution. They gave the toilet roll within the time they needed. Um, so the poor lad wasn't there for too long. And, and then there's a bit of humour thrown in. We wanted to help him start, finish off what he'd started. And obviously, Adam's response to that was, this was incredible, these are the best train company ever. But they missed a beat. And this is where I think they could have done something which would have been even more delightful and would also have also been something that would have humoured and delighted people ongoingly. So what they could have done, and this is one of the things that you know, we would have sort of talked through with them if we were working with them on that basis, is we could have said, look, why don't you pair up that toilet with toilet twinning? So 2.5 billion people don't have somewhere that's safe, clean, or hygienic to go to the loo. So that's basically a third of the people on this planet do not have good levels of hygiene with regards to toilets. And actually, if they turn around and said, why don't we turn around and twin this toilet with one of those things, which is what toiletwinning.org does, that would be a, quite an, a unique proposition. But then also have a photograph that Adam posted up on Twitter, the photograph of the twin toilet, put it in a lovely, gorgeous frame, send it over to Adam with a little story that's below it, 
Adam's going to hold on to that, and Adam's going to tell everyone, and Adam's going to be a lifelong customer. But on top of that, put it into the actual toilet itself. So every single time someone's there doing their business, they can look up, read the story, they can actually go through to the website, and they themselves can then also toilet twin their toilets with somewhere else. And so subsequently, not only are they doing good for Adam, celebrating that story, treating him in a non-scalable way, but in a way that has a profound impact on him personally, and he's going to be a, a lifelong customer, they're actually celebrating what can be done with regards to uh, affecting the lives of some of these 2.5 billion people. And for me, it's about how you get organisations to kind of think a little bit more outside the box, to join some of those dots that go above and beyond what their job remit is, because the solution needs it. And that, I think, is, is the big challenge. Right, so if I... If I to, to use a, a nice term from the States, unpack it. There's a, three things that come out of it. The first is, you say it's, it's not scalable, but on the other hand, it, it, it does have durin- endurance because yes. it's going to last a long time. And I think that's pretty cool. The second one that strikes me is that it's um, about storytelling because you know, I was reading this um, review about a, uh, an e-commerce site that puts stories or so they, they did one e-commerce site on eBay for example and then they created something called significantobjects.com where each object was cited but with a story and the consequence was it was a plus 2,700% increase in the price that the objects were sold at because of the stories attached to it and the third thing though is the awareness of this connected toilets uh, jobby here the issue is in a lot of companies they don't even know about that kind of stuff so yeah. how do you react to that? How, how do you what, sorry? React to that. Well, I agree. I think, uh, I think uh, all three of those points are valid because the fact that that little poster, that little picture there on the wall, how many times that can be photographed and tweeted out? Um, how many times is, is Toilet Twin going to benefit from lots of other people that sort of align their own toilets to that? But also, it's actually a really good case study to turn around and say, do we do a similar thing? on all of our toilets on the trains? Do we do a similar thing on all our toilets on our planes? When the amount of consumption of people using those toilets and all that goes through that, actually, that's a wonderful place to sort of not just have an impact with regards to the marketing of Virgin Trains, but also, as you say, to, to profile a bigger issue. Um, and, and for me, that, that cross-section between doing something that makes really good commercial sense but also has an impact, I think that's the sweet spot. Yeah. So... One of the things that motivates you, um, Caleb, is, is uh, meaningfulness and, and making things, making good business, making business that is good, good business. When you're dealing with um, your customers, or how do you approach customers and, and make that happen? Because at the end of the day, if you're dealing with Richard Branson, you're dealing with the founder who incarnates the story, Tom's uh, shoes, that's one thing. But for many others, they are there as an interim CEO, or at least as interim to the extent that they have this assignment as a CEO, <clears throat> maybe hired by the founder, maybe hired by the board, but they may not incarnate the brand in the same way. How do you, how do you come about persuading, encouraging them to take on meaningfulness into their organization? I think Brenny Brown um, has really nailed it with regards to looking at vulnerability and openness and that whole f- concept that actually we want to feel significant and we want to feel like we're connected to something. And I think that's the case for everybody, even the most successful person. I, I love the story of Oprah Winfrey. She would say that every single person, when they finish an interview, however famous they are, the first thing they always say to her is, was that all right? Because people are wanting that level of, I'm doing well, I'm significant, this is okay. So whether it be uh, a very charismatic 
entrepreneurial CEO or whether it be a very um, unsure, insecure, you know, um, interim CEO or, or just someone that actually doesn't particularly enjoy people, whatever their sort of personality makeup is, I think people do want to be significant at the, at the end of the day. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think, is a, is a very old tool but still a very profound tool on that basis. So how, how does one go about influencing them? For me, it starts with getting to know them. Like, we buy from people that we trust, and we work with people that we trust, and we, and we interact with people that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. You and I right now are talking because we enjoy conversations. We, we interact on that basis. So when it comes to a CEO, when it comes to a business, when it comes to anyone that we're trying to influence or work with, we've got to take the time to get to know them. We're not after the one-night stand, as many would have mentioned, but we're after that long-term relationship. And so much of the time, we don't spend the time really authentically and truthfully getting to know someone. So for me, that's why the personality tools are so helpful. Uh, in some ways, I suppose it's my own hack of getting to know someone quickly. I've studied this stuff, I know this stuff, I can find out relatively quickly how someone is wired and therefore present information to them in a way that they find helpful and what, in, the, in, the, in the manner that they need. So I think that's the first thing, actually really getting to know um, the CEO or the person or the business um, and understanding what their own frustrations are and what their own pain points are and listening, just in the same way that Virgin Media have got systems and uh, sorry, Virgin Trains have got systems to listen to dear Adam when he was sat on the loo. It's also, well, how do we go about listening to the needs of CEOs? And obviously, once you've spoken to uh, a number of people within the same type of business, you can join the dots already. Mm-hmm. But it's not going there with a the presumptive attitude to think, I already know what your problems are. I'm more superior to your pain points than you are. And therefore, you're going to need this packaged up solution. That. There's value in that, is there? But there is a certain level of value in that. But where the real value comes is actually really understanding specific pain points and what they need at that point in time to move the needle. So for me, it's about understanding, understanding them as individuals, but then also understanding their pain points. When, when we're dealing with putting the customer in the middle and long-term relationships, the issue, of course, is not the scalability story, but the justifying it. Because I know that in three months, I have to present my shareholder result my results to shareholders and I can't necessarily say that because I framed that lovely tweet in the toilet it's actually bringing back shareholder value immediately so the CEOs are the one time so if if my significance is related to making a better existence and experience for customers it's really hard to link it back to the shareholder results and it, and as like you're saying you know the way we are we get to know each other we build that trust Somehow, I don't know, we need a magic wand that allows us to, or not, if it's magic, then it's not real. But we need to have an ability to engage the CEO's desire, motivation to instill that, all the same time in guaranteeing good results along the way, otherwise that person will lose their job. I think the metrics by which we judge businesses are all skew if, and that's quite a big statement, but... I don't believe a business is just there in order to, p- to create the highest level of profit they can create. I know that goes against what lots of people think about business and actually loads of the books that you read on business and the conferences and the talks and the conversations and, and all the stuff that we've imbibed over time. But I think actually I far prefer the triple bottom line, which is people, profit and planet. And I think the, the business now, and I think we'll see this increasingly so, that focus just on profit I think actually over time there'll be an impact to them with regards to the impact that they have on their people or the impact they have on the wider community in which they're based. And I'm not saying that there's going to be a huge backlash against that, but we all, I think we, we both agree that for many CEOs and for many people, graduates, millennials who are looking for jobs, 
they're looking on the pages that refer back to CSR, whether they call it CSR or not. What is this business doing that's going to make a difference in society? And I don't think you can attract the best people anymore if it's purely about money. Because, you know, there's a beautiful documentary all around happiness. I don't know if you've seen it, but it it really unpacks what does it take for people to be happy. And people realise, actually, it's not about just money that makes people happy. It is about the the impact that you have. It's about the community that you live in. It's about feeling um, good about what you're doing, that you're making a valid contribution that's significant, that's meaningful. And I think people are looking for that far more than just simply how many zeros on my pay packet. I think... Being in London as we are, one of the areas that has the most, I think, painful re- realization of this is the banking industry. Mm. But you could probably also say the same thing, consultants in a lesser degree and even law firms, where they operate as independent people with their own P&Ls within this company. It's about all the clients they're bringing in. And for the banking industry, the issue has been that they no longer can pay out just as much as they used to because their margins have been squeezed more than p- the past. And so you're left with a, a culture that's been around money and profit, as you say. And, and so when they're going to now to recruit the talent, they, they have less money to go with. And so they end up with a more empty offer to try and recruit the best people. And so I, you know, since we're in this industry, in the banking industry, at least in London, the banking industry has a, a real wake-up call ahead of it to try and find another sense of meaningfulness to the business in which they're in. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think not just within the banking industry, but I think lots of people in lots of different niches uh, are struggling for that. Yeah, so I, I agree. <laughs> so, you know, what, were you, one of the things you were talking about before is uh, a, a law firm that with, which, with which you're working. And um, in... in, in, in it's sort of a B to B. It can be B to B or it can be B to C. And it's interesting that the there's a a lot of laggard industries that are finally getting into digital marketing and social. Banking remains, I seem, extremely laggard when it outside of retail, because of the B to B or privacy because private banking and you know very rich lani das, law firms because all the regulation, same for pharmaceuticals, and and yet. There's a whole viable opportunity for law firms in particular because they are writers by nature. That's sort of what they're made to do, or many of them are anyway. So tell us about how you have gone about trying to help this law firm to to realize the potential of digital uh, for their business. I think the interesting thing, often you're starting from a place of caution for law firms. So they're worried about what's going to be going out into public domain, um, and so therefore... Uh, they're in some ways far more cautious by nature than many other niches might be. And so there's a, a big cultural piece that has to be done to start off with when you're working within, with, within law firms because you're trying to talk to them about um, actually it's good to be personal um, and actually it's good to engage on a personal level. Yeah, it's good to be open and transparent. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, yeah, absolutely. And we joke, but it's, it's a very hard... Um, not to crack in many ways. So, so for me, again, it starts back to getting to know the leaders and getting to know the management team and understanding what their drivers and what their motivators are. But then it's turning it on to the customer, like, who are your customers? Let's drill down, let's understand them, let's, let's build up customer personas. So let's drill down to the nitty-gritty, what the pain points are, what the frustrations are, what the needs are, how your service delivers that need, what piece of content might be helpful to, to initially sort of draw yourself towards them, whether they're downloading uh, an ebook off a blog, whether they're watching a video, whether they're listening to a podcast, what, what are the things that actually they really need to actually start in a journey with you? 
And then once you actually got their attention, how do you systematically deliver to them good values, not slamming stuff at them? So, for example, with this law firm that we're working with, um, we would be focusing around what value you're adding to startups. So within the startup community, we're often then needing to get you know the shareholders agreement, the memorandum of articles of association, all, all the different legal paths need to get set up. What is it that you're giving to them in order to not just sell them that piece, but actually to give them ongoing longevity of relationship? Mm-hmm. So a lot of that does start with really good content, really understanding what their needs are, um, understanding how you make their business better, but almost we've got you covered legally. Just walk through this process, walk through these steps. So for us, in terms of very tangibly how we do that, it'll be about creating blog posts. Um, it'll be about creating um, e-books that will be at the different points of the sales funnel. So when they're first trying to understand where they, where they need to get some legal cover through to when the point where they, um, they want to get cover there and then they want to find the right firm to work with. I, I love Avinash's um, model, See, Think, Do. So it's the whole concept of not everyone's ready at that point in time to buy something. They might just be exploring things. And at that point in time, your website needs to appeal to people when they're at the C stage. Um, but then also when they're at the think stage where they're deliberating, they're trying to weigh it up. Again, your website and your content needs to appeal to, appeal to people then. But then also when they're at the do stage, when they're at the point where they want to make a decision, they want to find the firm to work with, they want to have a consultation and, and move forward, and obviously giving them a, a frictionless experience for them to do that. So for us, we, we, we use a HubSpot a lot. We're, we're, we're basically focused on how we deliver that as a solution for people. So as an inbound tool, it enables people to um, generate those eBooks and landing pages and to tag people appropriately to understand what pages on your website people have been to. When they come back to your website, you can then track to see which pages they've visited. Um, when they've watched videos, you can see at what point they exited that video. And all of this information is all in one place. So then when they do go through and sort of say yes I'll schedule an appointment and they do that automatically and they click through to schedule an appointment sync it up with your calendar it's synced up with their calendar um, and they're sent over the information before that phone call you can just read all the stuff that they've looked at you can understand what pages they've been to on your site you can see where where they've read with regards to your videos what ebooks they've downloaded you've already got a picture of what it is that's important to them mm-hmm. and then when you're coming to them you're not starting from zero you're starting from an educated place to actually say I think these might be some of the challenges that you're facing and then you can start, far, start talking far more personally and then actually address and solve some of their problems in a way that's meaningful to them. All right, so a couple of things. Um, first of all, in terms of creating the content for the blog, did you structure it in a see-think-do manner? Or how do you organize that? Because in the end of the day, the issue that I see, if you're an accountancy or, or a law firm, a lot of this material is, is more or less timeless. Yes. You know, it's like, well, how do you set up a company? You know, unless there's been a law change, it's sort of, it's, it's not time sensitive in a sense. And so how do you then structure a calendar of content that is more on a, a timeless basis? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's a beautiful thing with things like lawyers and also things like accountants as well, which we work with a lot. And I think creating that evergreen content where basically it's timeless stuff that is going to be here for the next three years, four years, unless, as you say, there's changes in law, is crucial because so much of the time um, some businesses don't have large budgets to keep creating content. And as much as you know, we all would love to think that actually people are always going to be creating that content, that they go through spurts of energy where their focus is on this and their focus moves on to something else, uh, you know, and understandably so. So for us it's about saying we will use a tool like BuzzSumo to try and address well, what are the most popular bits of content within that niche so we'll understand what what titles are working most effectively and also what piece of content are working most effectively Uh, and we'll do the background research to understand who the target personas are what the pain points are what 
content is popular within that niche and then would write it very specifically that post for that person at that stage in the buying funnel so we wouldn't try and do see think and do all at once because the reality is when someone's seeing they don't really know to, need to know about the price but i was thinking actually just to you know think let's do a see post let's do a think post yeah so for example a see post would be um how how do i get a shareholders agreement um, so, in essence, someone's res- researching it. They're trying to understand it. Um, they need to know whether it's important to them. Um, whereas a, a do post might be um, comparing one legal firm against another or comparing one startup legal pack against another startup legal pack. Um, and obviously, there's going to be different, different touch points down that customer journey. So, often, I think where, where companies get it wrong, and often one of the challenges we face with lots of our clients, is it's not enough just to put out good content. You've got to map it out against the customer's journey and where they would be on that see, think, do. But also you've got to map out um, what they need to move from one persona to the next. So often people make generic content that might be um, just for people who need legal help generally as opposed to saying, right, well, we've got some people who are focused on tech startups, Mm -hmm. but they're very different from people who might be focused on cafe startups. Mm -hmm. So how do we create content that would relate to each of those individual personas? So when you're dealing with the creation of that content... I'm assuming that it's coming from the lawyers. And my, my question is, how do you manage the motivation of these lawyers to write this, which isn't necessarily their daily ballywick? A lot of the time it's actually not coming from the lawyers. A lot of the time we would actually create that content ourselves. But, you have, but since you're not lawyers, you have to gain the content from the resident expert in a situation or in a certain area. With that specific niche, we've got someone within our team who's written for legal firms for 10 years or so. So that specific example, um, we would know that niche very well. So, um, but, but following other examples, let's say if it's a niche where we didn't necessarily have someone that already had that experience in writing that context, sometimes we might interview someone who would have that experience and literally just sit down, walk through a number of questions. Um, they can normally cope with talking about things because they like to talk. Um, and at that point in time, we'd transcribe it and then we'd, we'd draft that up into blog posts in those areas uh, and then run it by them. So we're doing the heavy lifting. They're giving us the inspiration and we're doing the embellishing around that to sort of really have it to hold, hold together as a story, as a, as a crafted piece. So that's one example. Um, other times it might be that they actually really love to create content, but they kind of don't really want the hassle of actually posting things up or working out where it fits within, exactly, you know, work out where it fits within the customer journey. So we might give them a title, can you write something around this? Um, and we might even give them a title and give them a couple of bullet points just so they can kind of structure it out and then they can flesh it out themselves. So that's kind of like the written stuff. When it comes to podcasts, you know, often, for example, we might be in a scenario with some of our clients where they interview other people. So we would set up all the different people that they might interview. We would identify who are the influencers that they need to reach in order to reach their customers. And so we would draw up a list of people that they could be interacting with, and we would reach out to them on their behalf and tee that up. Basically, try and make it as easy and frictionless as possible for them so they can focus the majority of their time on actually just running their business. And what we need them to do in order to help grow their business give us that bit of time that they can do. So you mentioned influencers. How do you go about finding, identifying, and connecting with those influencers? There's a lovely new tool called Ninja Outreach, which is a, one of those what names. Um, but it's a great tool because basically it gives you a chance to be able to drill down and identify who those influencers are. Um, so that's really good. Another great tool that we use is called Twitterland, um, and that's a really good one as well. You can try and identify who the most influential people on Twitter might be within a specific uh, geography, but also within a specific um, uh, I suppose, the area of influence or niche. So there's a number of different tools, and, and there'll be a few others that we use as well, but there's, there's a number of tools that we then use. So 
when we sat down, we're working on a new campaign, we're working on a new project, we would say, right, what are the areas of, of influence that you want to have? Um, and sometimes it might always not always be people within their niche. It might be turning around and say, well, actually, let's go after uh, people from a PR sector. Let's go after a bunch of journalists, and that might be a more appropriate campaign. So it very much depends from one campaign to the next, um, which is why for us it always starts with you know, really listening and understanding what's needed at that point in time. Because there's all there's you know you know Minter, there's so much that you can do. It's just a question of how do you pick the needles out of the haystack and really focus on the things that are very quickly going to generate the most. Yeah, most movement, most growth. Uh, you know, in the end of the day, Caleb, I think that's what our that's what our lives are about. Is finding that I would say the needle in the haystack, the the right approach with so many options. So, Caleb, so someone who has some more time after listening to this, how can they track you down, uh, follow you? What, what would be the best ways to contact sure. you? Um, so our agency website is stalkymedia.com, uh, so they can come along to that, and there's a whole bunch of free resources and eBooks that they can download. Um, they can also reach out to me on email, which would be caleb at stalkymedia.com. Also, they can reach out to me on Twitter, so Caleb Stalky, all one word, on Twitter. I, I'd love to talk to people, even if it's, like, from our point of view, I just love to talk to people. So happily have a coffee, coffee, happily meet up on Skype, wherever they are in the world. It's always just enjoyable to understand people's stories and to see even if we don't work together, we, we can just add a bit of value in that conversation. Well, I'm sure if you do, you will enjoy Caleb's energy. Thanks a lot, Caleb. Great to have you on the show and looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Minter. As always, a pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.